this hippie explained it this way to me, that everyone has different snowflake shoes, that everyone has a different pattern and they wear them on their feet and they're unique. And some people, their snowflake shoes allow them to go all over the world and they don't even worry about it. Where other people's snowflake shoes and the patterns and they would rather go straight in their path or maybe their path that's like seems really boring to me is actually a stretch for them. Mm. So, and it's all about whatever snowflake shoes you were given. Hi, I'm Matt McKee, and welcome to Cherry Bomb the Podcast, a series of conversations with people about food, art, and sustainability. Today, I'm speaking in the studio with world-class international photographer, Jessica Brandon. This episode of Cherry Bomb the Podcast is sponsored by Cherry Bomb and my Sweet Glass series of photographs. The Sweet Glass series was created with the mission to start conversations in the room about the bigger topics of food, art, and sustainability, and to help me deal with my apprehensions about what we may be doing for food in the future, like, say, tomorrow. This podcast is the natural companion piece to that project where I get to share with you some of the discussions that Sweet Blast has inspired. You can browse and purchase images in the Sweet Blast collection at theartofmattmckee.com. Jessica, it has been years since we've talked. Um, Hi, Matt. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the inside of my brain here in the studio. I know. It's a little overwhelming, the inside of your brain, but I like it, too. <laughs> When you first came in, you were actually making reference back to 2007-ish Yes. when you actually were a young photographer and assisting for me and helping carry my, as you call them, coffin bags of equipment out on location. <laughs> yes, I know. It's so funny. I learned a lot from you assisting from you. Um, but we're like completely different animals. Like totally. Like I look for natural light when I'm shooting, and I remember that you just black it all out with like dark <laughs> black velvet <laughs> curtains, and I was like, wait, it's so pretty. And then you set up all these lights, and yeah, I would haul like coffin size equipment. <laughs> That's actually kind of where I was going with this because after 2007, 2008, 2009, whatever it was when you were working with me, you left me in a lurch and I was so High sad. and dry. I was yes. like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> you had come back from India when you first started assisting me and then you went to like Africa or something like I that? I did. Yeah, that's okay. exactly what happens. I was assisting for you and a few other photographers and I knew when I came back from India, I wanted to be a photographer. Like mm -hmm. I recognized that. And then I started assisting for you and a few other people in the area that were great. And I started having conversations with photographers too and just trying to figure out what my next steps were. And I met this amazing female photographer and she looked at my work and said, you're, you're great. Mm -hmm. Start talking to clients and maybe go base somewhere abroad. And I remember after that conversation getting in the car and calling my mom and being like, I'm going to move to Kenya. And she was like, okay. At this point, they were... <laughs> used to my crazy behaviors. <laughs> so I did. I bought my first Canon. It was a Canon 5D. It was my first time shooting digital. Mm -hmm. And I just up and bought a pain ticket and moved to Kenya, to okay. Nairobi. So for those people who don't know you, you are a sub five foot blonde woman. <laughs> I'm strong. <laughs> strong, definitely strong. Going to an area that was not known at that point for its stability, for it forward thinking in terms of feminism and women's rights and, and all this stuff. And you decided to go to the heart of a completely different culture. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't even phase me. I just went for it. <laughs> <laughs> I did think in my head that Kenya would be like India. At least at the time, there was a huge 
backpacker crowd and the bus systems were really easy and and it's same with Thailand and Vietnam I went all over Asia at that point and it was easy to navigate so I just kind of assumed in my head that I the same thing would <laughs> happen in Kenya and that wasn't the case I remember getting in super late from the plane it was delayed and we got oh in gosh. and I was just like oh my gosh I don't even know how to get to my hotel. It was 3 a.m. So luckily I had sat next to a girl who was really nice and her uncle gave me a ride to the hotel. But even on the drive there, you know, instead of open apartments, they had like high walls with barbed wire. And it's just a totally different way of living. Um, And no one on the street at night. People kind of drive around instead. So instantaneously, I was like, oh, whoa, this is a totally different experience. I did have to navigate that. I think I called my mom and cried, which is my normal. (laughs) And then she was like, yeah, 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 get over it. And I did. Cool. And that was sort of the start of the career and things blossomed from there? Yeah, that was the start of the career. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, but I just like felt like it was the right thing to do. I don't think that's completely true. I think, I mean, certainly on the technical side of things, you were more than proficient and oh, well, uh, had, thank you. I a, had a that. Yeah. sense of composition and a sense of the concepts behind the images you were creating. Yeah, so. I could shoot. I had no problem with that. I didn't know exactly what I was trying to do, to be honest. I just knew I was supposed to be there and that I was was going to figure it out. And so I stayed. I stayed for that trip maybe about eight months. And I ended up leaving Nairobi and I based in Kampala, Uganda. My friend from New York called me and she was like, so I was just in the elevator with this woman in my apartment building and she works for Columbia University and she needs a photographer in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is right next to where you are. And, you know, they do maternal health rights work with women. And I don't know, I just felt like you would be great. That ended up being my first real major gig was with Columbia University, flying into the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Another wonderfully safe area at that time. (laughs) I don't know if right now it's great, but there was this like peace time near Bukavu, which is on the east eastern side of the Congo. (laughs) That's like where all the rebels are in the jungles. At that point, they did have a safety kind of time. So I was there when it was okay to be there. One of the questions that has always arisen for me whenever you're telling these stories, I mean, I'm the guy, as you say, I build my own little studio wherever I am, which is my safe space. You obviously have a sense of a safe place, but I don't think it's a physical place. I think it's more something in your head, which is amazing (laughs) to me and, and completely foreign to me. Is this just natural or is it from your parents? Oh, definitely not from my parents. I love my parents. My mom does have the want for her children to travel. So Mm -hmm. she's always pushing the limits and saying, go, go, go. My dad, the same thing. They're both very supportive. I think I was just made this way. I was actually thinking about when I was happiest and I was like recently I was like I'm happiest on a plane or in environments in which I don't really know anyone or it's super hot and I'm sweating and I'm physically uncomfortable or I'm happiest like working on a farm around food while laboring and being very uncomfortable. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I think I like being uncomfortable. Okay. It's like the only thing that makes sense to me. I think the fear factor, I think some people would stop themselves from doing any of these. Yes, raising my hand over. (laughs) For India, when I went there, it just was right. It was like in my body. Like it was like, you need to have an experience that will flip you upside down. Wow. That's it. I need to go do this. Like it wasn't a question. It was just, when am I going to be able to do this? And how am I going to do it? I felt the same way after I talked to that photographer. I think 
now I do understand my threats. I understand that I photograph for public health institutions or for the United Nations or whatever I'm doing and that they don't always work in secure places. So I have to just be a little bit more careful about like my security and my logistics. And Mm. I ask different questions. But I do it. I love it. What would be the wildest place that you ever ended up? I saw that question and I was like, oh, man. I don't know how to answer that. That's like someone asking you what the wildest food that you have ever eaten is. Mine is a bug. I don't know. Yeah, I've never gone that far, but once you try alligator or rattlesnake. Yeah. Okay, it's chicken. It's chicken. <laughs> yeah, live bugs are my line. <laughs> like a gooey live bug. That was like someone presented that to me and I was like, I can't, I can't do it. So oh it was, my God. It was, is this like an appetizer or is this like an honor or is uh, it to oh, like, it or was, dare? It was in the Amazon. We were just out. I also ran a, like an all women's travel company called Purposeful Nomad, which still exists, but I let it go. So my co-founder now runs it. If any women want to travel in the world, wow. uh, Purposeful Nomad, I'll give her a plug. <laughs> um, but we were there looking at different projects all over the world. And so they presented us in the Amazon with a bug and they were like, would you like to eat this? And both of us were like, oh, this is still alive. It was like this juicy fat insect. But but you at the beginning said you were wondering where your food is going to come from in the mm-hmm. future. And so get used to insects because insects are the wave of the future and they are eaten in Africa, all over Asia and actually South America. I've certainly tried chocolate covered crickets, but chocolate covered. Yeah, anything chocolate covered is pretty um, good. So. But I have read a few articles that's talking about the fact that, you know, cricket yeah. meal is high in protein and it's got a lot of other nutrients and stuff yeah. like that yeah you see like the mamas on the side of the road with a big bowl of crickets and they're like taking their wings off and popping them oh <laughs> frying <my> them up <laughs> they're actually oh. pretty good they're like a french fry Ooh, yeah, okay. like a protein french fry you know or if you're on a bus a local bus like people will come to the side of the road and scoop you some crickets <laughs> just it sounds wrong. And yet at the same time, I'm like, well, oh, you said French fries. I'm willing to try that. I will say the wildest country I've ever been to and worked at is India okay. by, by a landslide. I've been multiple times now to India. I go back like once a year. After living there for that one year, I like have family there almost in Rajasthan where I lived. What made it wild? India is just a totally different place than here. I mean, maybe like the inside of your brain would do okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just looking around his studio i need descriptors there's like a fish head i don't know what is going that's That's terrifying batman costume (laughs) boxing gloves i don't even know a bear butt hanging out of the (laughs) the key i don't know anyways there's a whole story about that one i'll (laughs) say that one another time but anyways so India is kind of like the opposite of the United States. If you took the U.S. and shook it upside down and then made it completely different, that's what India is. It's just, and I love that about it because you realize that you can function totally differently in the world and it doesn't need to be the way that we do it. There can be a completely different way of doing everything and that is how India does it. And it works. It works in its own way, a totally different chaotic way. There are two guys on a bicycle holding the sheet of glass in between rickshaws and cows and they're not hitting people or anything, but everyone expects it. So it kind of works. It's like a, it's like like the best chaotic symphony I've ever seen. It's the craziest place I've ever been. And I love it. Not everyone does. And I love the food and the people and the energy and the vibe. You do get exhausted if you stay like (laughs) very long time, you get tired. But I think my wildest assignment was in South Sudan. I got a grant 
to go work in the Sudan and photograph the first all-women's school many years ago. I took a small plane from Kenya into Juba, which is the capital of South Sudan now. Okay. At that point, it was just Sudan. They've now made it into two countries. I knew it was going to be fun right away because they do this crazy corkscrew landing and then they dive the plane down so that it doesn't get bombed. It's just like a... What? Yeah, it's just... <laughs> what? <laughs> It's a maneuver. They go down very quickly and they hit the ground really quick and they like kind of bomb out of the ground. And I don't know if it's because they're like scared of a missile coming out of the sky or if it's because it's just a small like rickety airport, you know, and they have to kind of just get scoot in somehow. Wow. But yeah, you're up there and then all of a sudden you're like down and you're like, whoa, that was really quick. Yeah, and then we got in a car and we drove and we drove miles. So we were, Juba's in the south and we were going north, like way north, up near Darfur region. Okay. And we drove forever. There's no roads. There are no roads when I was there. <laughs> so we were just next to the railroad. But as you're driving, railroad on the right, but to the left, there's all these signpostings. And eventually I was like, so uh, what are those signpostings for? And they were like, oh, there's bombs in the ground and those are signs saying that there are you know landmines over here because you don't want to step it was rainy season so we were like sliding in the mud oh like gosh. and i was like oh that posting's getting super <laughs> close but i was like whatever i'm in what can i do now yeah I mean, gosh, it took us two days to get where we were going, but we were kind of on the border of Darfur. We were staying at a World Health Organization camp in okay. the middle of nowhere, and it had rained the night before. So when we got there, it wasn't raining anymore, but it was damp, and it was night. I remember getting to the camp, and they were like, come to the kitchen, get some food. Walking from our tent, and the whole ground was moving. It was like the Indiana Jones movie, oh when they're God. like in the Temple of Doom. Snakes, I hate snakes. <laughs> Or like the blonde woman is like putting her hand into something and it's like going up her and she's like, Indy! And there's like this enormous bug going into her hair. Oh my God. So that's what it was like. It was like the whole floor was slithering with bugs and insects. Oh and I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. Like I was like, keep it in. Just like, don't be disrespectful. No open toes. The whole ground point. is moving. So we like were eating goat. I'm sitting there eating it. And I was just picking up my right hand and putting it into my hair and like <laughs> removing these millipedes and just like oh putting them down and like trying to remain calm. <laughs> I just remember in my head being like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this one. Like this is really intense. And the people around you they, who had been there for a long time, they're, they're they were like, like, whatever, like no one noted it. And so I was like, cool. And then in the morning it was sunny and it was super bright and the bugs went away. And so I learned later that they're rain bugs and they only come out certain times, not every rain. So they never came back for the rest. And I was like, okay, we can do this. Oh so yeah, gosh. that was bananas. The trip was amazing because it was a grant. I wasn't there for like three days hustling to do 10,000 different things. I just went to one school and I was there for four days. And so I was really able to know the girls, who they were and follow them home. Just get to examine more of being like a villager in South Sudan and what that means you brought up a number of times the women-led organizations, and I noticed on your website you had uh, Women Who Code and Female Farmers. Yep. And one of the big things it seems to be is the empowerment of women in our world. Can you tell me a little bit about that exploration? 
Yeah, I guess it was an exploration. It's just kind of who I am. I don't know how to explain that. It's it's just kind of where my photography led me. Also, what I'm driven to do. I think I'm a pretty powerful female. I'm really lucky. I grew up in the United States. I have three older sisters and a mother and I don't have any brothers. So everything <laughs> we've done was like, my dad was like, you're mowing the lawn. You're plowing this field now. And I'm like, okay. You so know, you I empowered from the beginning yeah, to go forth and I recognize living in India and other places that women aren't given those opportunities. And even in the United States, sometimes women aren't giving those opportunities. So I want to show more of that and show more of what women can do, but also what their limits are sometimes. And so I work for a lot of organizations that work around women's empowerment. And my work is definitely based more on the positive, but I think the right word is like realistic. So, you know, women overarchingly around the world are responsible for their children, for Farm work, I mean, men do very little in comparison to women in some countries. Mm. So, I mean, in India, in the villages, it's like the woman's got the baby on her back and she's got a axe <laughs> and she's like somehow has made all the food, eats the least, drinks the least water and is like providing for all her children and doing the cooking, the cleaning, and is in the farm doing the farming work. And that's not to say men aren't working too, but overwhelmingly women are doing the majority of the work. Hmm. So, and I just want to be able to show who they are. And celebrate that. Celebrate it, but also recognize where it's a little messed up. (laughs) (laughs) That makes any sense. No, it it totally does. What does photography do for you? It's always a progression on what Mm -hmm. it does for me. And I think when I was younger, photography was like a way to travel the world. I actually felt more like a travel bum with like my backpack and I just my camera just going across India. My only in my mid 30s that I really started going like, oh, wait, I'm actually a photographer and I'm like, this is actually what I do. And I should probably take it to some degree more seriously. I think for me, it's about connection. And it's always been about that. I've always wanted through writing or photography, and it doesn't just need to be photography. I I think there are other ways to be able to show the connection between people. But for me, I love people. I love people all over the world. And I like what makes us very similar. And I like to photograph that. And I also like what makes us completely different, which is like cultural lines and religion and politics. But if you really go deep underneath the surface, we're all the same. And I really like that. And I like in photography finding that moment when someone's looking at you in this way that's very, just everyone has this feeling of joy or sadness or whatever it is, but that's it, it's human. That's what I'm connected to in my work. And I also just love being able to go to these places and having access and being able to stay in a place for six days and live in a hut and get to know how somebody else lives and respect that. It makes me wonder where you're living here. (laughs) In a house. So boring. (laughs) It's like a bed even. A kitchen. A refrigerator. Just some place to come back to. I don't think recharge is the right word because I think you get the charge from out there. Oh, no. I need to recharge, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, You're not wrong on that. Someone asked me one time about my photography because I do so much commercial work. Yeah. What, what's your personal project? And I do have little things that are going, but there's always an underlying core. Mm. The concept when I'm going to photograph a CEO is that I'm looking for the concept of that CEO. The concept underneath is always my mission. Oh. Um, 
So it's all personal work to me. But do you have a personal project? This always happens to me because I go to this farm that I love and I photograph the farm. And mm -hmm. then at some point they're just like, do you just want to work on the farm? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then I just end up working on the farm instead of <laughs> photographing the farm, which I think is really what I want. So it's good. <laughs> But I do. I have a female farmers all over the world. So I've done a lot of domestic work with female farmers, but I've started to expand it to be more like international based female farmers. And wherever I've been, like Zambia or and wherever I go, I just look them up so okay. and see if I can find more female so farmers. So this is not just like, you know, the family farm kind of thing. These are, are professional yep. farmers who just happen to be female. And then I also do a personal project called the Roseway, which is a beautiful tall ship with red sails. Mm -hmm is parked right in downtown Boston, right near the Envoy Hotel, if anybody's around. You can go on there, actually, and buy tickets and do, like, really beautiful evening sales. They're a nonprofit, and they bring kids on from the inner city and other places. They sail with them and teach them how to sail for, like, 10 days. So it's like a camp for oh, kids wow. during the summer. During the winter, they go to the Caribbean, and I've actually been like, hey, can I go to the Caribbean with you? And they're like, yeah, there's always a bed. Yes. <laughs> That sounds wonderful. <laughs> Imagine there's being on a ship, there's a lot of hard work to be done. Yeah, well, they do that. I just photograph. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the work that I shoot professionally is my personal work. There's no differentiating line for me. Okay. So I, so just, I love everything I do. It's a passion project, yeah. no matter what. Like, I've never thought of photography as a job, ever. Not once. This is going to be a two-part question because I think there's two different ways to answer this. Okay. One is, at the end of the day, you're out sleeping in a hut watching the bugs. What is your comfort food when you're out on an adventure? Rice. <laughs> Rice. Okay. <laughs> Something bland. No, I don't have one because the comfort is whatever is local. And usually that a rice or ugali or a fufu as they call it which is just corn flour and water mixed together and it kind of looks like mashed potatoes <laughs> i mean there's okay. no other way to explain that rice is predominant in other parts so okay. you know it's, or it's quinoa everywhere you go you just get fed different foods so i don't have a comfort food i just eat whatever is put in front of me from goat to <laughs> uh, some weird stuff Bugs, bugs. One time in South Sudan, I was given this thing that was like gelatinous and clear. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And I like put it in my mouth. It wouldn't break up. So it just like went all the way down oh my, my throat. And I was like gagging a little bit. Still don't know what I was eating, if anybody has any idea, but I couldn't finish it. So I just went in and had a granola bar. <laughs> I had it stashed in my bag for times like these. And then my guide later, who is South Sudanese, came and she was like, I noted that you weren't eating. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day, they took me to this amazing Greek restaurant because apparently we had like baklava and Ooh. lamb shank yes. because there used to be a Greek population that immigrated to South Sudan. Huh. So there is an actual Greek restaurant. It was amazing. Oh, wow. So when you come home, you're in your house with your refrigerator and your bed and all the comforts. What would be your comfort food there? Potato chips and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, potato chips and chocolate and chicken noodle soup. So if I'm sick anywhere, I want chicken noodle soup. And I do get sick quite often because I just eat weird things. I've asked this other question of other adventuresome people, and it's not a question that I think they know how to answer necessarily. What do you wish you knew when you started? 
And one of the challenges is, of course, you go back to your fifth grade self or 20-year-old, so you're not 30 where you've kind of figured out your position, but you have secrets. You have knowledge now. You have wisdom now. And I don't go, know. Do I? Maybe somewhere in there. I- you have Okay. You have experiences now. When would you tell yourself and what would you tell yourself? Oh, man, I would say don't beat yourself up and just try things because I ultimately think that I still get stuck in ruts or in places where I want to try new things. There, a fear factor does come on and there is resistance. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like I've wasted time just not actually doing everything. You know, instead of contemplating things, I would rather just go do them now, not waste the time. Mm. That would be my one piece of advice. <laughs> and when would you tell yourself that? When fear is stopping me. What would you like your legacy to be? Oh, God. <laughs> we go morbid for, for this one question, but uh, I mean... Uh, my gravestone. She laughed a lot. <laughs> that, took some nice photos. <laughs> true on both accounts. I honestly don't know. I don't know what I want my legacy to be. <laughs> From my perspective, from what you've been describing today, you've talked about so many things, so many experiences that you've shown to our culture of these other cultures. Yeah, I guess if you really were going to put a legacy out there, I would hope that my work would connect people more together and that people would maybe find room in their hearts a little bit more to just find some understanding on how different people live in this world and that any way you live is okay. (laughs) (laughs) And to show that people all over the world aren't just victims. And I think Mm. that's a thing that the United States press and journalism has done, especially on the continent of Africa and Africans. And I will use like the whole broad term Africans, not just like Kenyans or Ugandans, I think are aware of that. Like they are aware that their image is used in a victimizing kind of way. Like, oh, there's a drought and people are starving. And those pictures are the ones that end up sometimes on the cover of a New York Times. And when I was there and starting to shoot, I got a lot of resistance from Kenyans and Ugandans not wanting to be photographed because they knew that their image could be used in this light. They were not happy with it. So I spent a lot of time reflecting on that and saying, like, what do I want to show? Do I want to show what everyone else is photographing? Or do I want to show this other side where, like, women are having children and they're playing with their kids and they're farming and they're living and their life might be completely different and sometimes disadvantaged. But, you know, it's a completely different way of life. Mm. And I want to show that. And I want that to be just as important. The human connection is there still. So, and people obviously care about each other all over the world. So, you know, people have families and kids and they want them to grow well and strong and be educated. If the root of it all, that's who we are. Hey, I really appreciate you listening to this episode of Cherry Bomb, the podcast, a companion piece to Sweet Blast, which can be found at theartofmattmckee.com. Today's guest is international photographer Jessica Scranton. You can find her work at www.jessicascranton.com. Please share Cherry Bomb, the podcast, with your friends and anyone else interested in the arts, food, and sustainability. If you have questions, suggestions, or comments, feel free to drop me a line at matt at This episode of Cherry Bomb, the podcast, is produced by me with consulting help from Suzanne Schultz and Canvas Fine Arts and edited by Bill Shamlian at Orb Audio. Thanks for listening, and let's start the conversation.